Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen. In the spring of 1954, Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Frederick, Maryland opened its doors on Mater Avenue just down the street from my grandmother's house. In 1958, they dedicated a new building. My memories of Good Friday celebrations go back to that parish. And because of what I heard on those Good Fridays and what I saw in that sanctuary, I have always had a fascination with what I call the Good Friday curious incident. Something that occurred on Good Friday that I saw in my mind's eye, that I heard in the stories that were shared that day. Now sadly, Pastor Wilder did not read from either Matthew, Mark, or Luke, so you didn't hear it in that fine reading of the Passion narrative from John. So Bruce, how about coming up again and reading the Passion narrative from the Gospel of Mark? It's in Mark, it's in Matthew, it is in Luke. And really I'll have just a few marks to sh- remarks to share with you about that curious incident, but first I want you just to relax. Throw that switch in your mind that turns on your imagination because I have a story to tell you and I hope you can find yourself in this story. It's spring. It's Passover time. It's the 17th year of the reign of Tiberius and you are a Roman centurion assigned to duty in the fortress Antonio in Jerusalem. And you've been there in that crowded, dirty, noisy, violent city for less than a year. And it certainly isn't an assignment you would have selected. Of all the places to serve the emperor, Judea, Jerusalem, you are wondering what it is you did wrong. How possibly you offended someone to earn this assignment. You would have have preferred being stationed in a more peaceful city where everyone appreciated the salvation, the security, and the peace that Rome offered. But you're living in a dangerous place. You've been warned about the zealots, their fanatical devotion to their God, a God whose name no Jew dares to speak. Why worship a God with no name? Everyone knows the names of the gods of Rome. And everyone knows those same gods want the world to be ruled from Rome. These so-called sons of Abraham, they live too much in the past. Just yesterday from the fortress, you watched as pilgrims from everywhere gathered near the temple to have their Passover lamb slaughtered by the priest. You were told a lot of lambs would be slaughtered. And indeed there were by the hundreds of thousands. What a bloody business. Having to do with their God leading them out of slavery in Egypt? What nonsense! 
If you needed a God's help to escape from an Egyptian pharaoh, then you had to be part of the weakest race on the face of the earth. Well, at least the high priest and the sons of Herod know how to get along with Rome. And you like those aristocrats. After all, they've made your job a little bit easier thanks to their spies. They keep Pilate informed. And that's why last night you were called out of bed to help the temple police round up some rabbi who had upset the apple cart. Days before, he and his followers had run the vendors out from the court of the Gentiles at the Jerusalem temple. Not a smart rabbi to pull a stunt like that. You're not sure of the details, but you know that Caiaphas and Pilate put their heads together on this one, and they both want this rabbi from Galilee on a Roman cross. And they have played the game well, going through the trouble of offering a hearing and a trial. And it was just after the trial, Pilate pulled you aside. He trusted you after all. And why not? You always got the job done. And Pilate was clear. Dispatch this rabbi quickly before things get out of hand. It had been a long and sleepless night, and you're now standing on the Mount of Olives east of the city. And so far, your men have done their jobs well. The scourging of the rabbi was horrific, and you know he will die in no time at all. In fact, he was barely able to carry the crossbeam as you made your way from the fortress Antonio. And there on the hill, you barked your orders and your men carried them out with speed. After all, they fear you. But you're glad you do not have to do the nasty work yourself. You've put men to death before. But that was in Gaul on the battlefield. There it was one thing to run an enemy through with your broadsword, but this, this is something else. This holds little honor. This makes you feel cowardly. And that's why you stand at a distance. No need to get your hands too dirty. And you've been on this hill before. On days when you were off duty, you would climb it and you would look west upon the city at that glorious view. And from that hill you could see Herod had done one thing right. He built that temple and indeed it was one of the grandest and most beautiful temples you had ever seen. It rivaled even the temples of Rome. And you like gazing at this temple from the mountain, especially in the morning sun. The sun's morning rays shine on the face of the temple, making it shine, and you love being there. It's like being between a sunrise and a sunset, all at the same time. And this morning the sky is cloudless, and the sun is bright, and the temple is gleaming. 
But more intriguing than the brightness of the reflected sun is that marvelous, marvelous, glorious, huge patch of purple, blue and scarlet, centered in the middle of the brilliance of the temple. The temple curtain, you've seen it before up close. You've stood there on the steps of the temple's entrance and you've looked up to the top of that curtain, 80 feet above your head. One of the priests let you touch it. It was heavy and it was thick, as thick as your sword hand. One of the priests told you it had been imported from Babylon and that because of its thickness and its quality, not even the strongest horses could tear it in two. And it was a gift from Herod the Great. It is the largest and most beautiful tapestry you have ever seen. Its colors, its images, let you see the whole universe. And now as you see its darkness in the field of light, it seems to you, you are almost looking out a window into heaven itself. And its cool colors are calling to you. They're calling you home. And at that moment in your heart, there is a very real pain because you long for home, the love of your wife, and the smiles of your children. As the homesickness subsides, you tell your trusted subordinate to keep a close eye on things, especially the rabbi and the crowd that is gathered, and you move off over the crest to find a shady spot to sit down. And you do, and you close your eyes, and you fall asleep. And while you are asleep, you dream. You dream of what might be behind that curtain. Heaven itself. Elysium. It's a pleasant dream on a very unpleasant day. And suddenly there's a hand on your arm shaking you from sleep. And one of the soldiers tells you it's time. The rabbi's almost gone. And then the fear hits you. You have slept too long because you look up and all you see is a dark sky. Pilate will not like this, but the soldier seeing your fear says, not to worry, it's just a storm coming in. Together you cross back over the crest, and as you do, you hear the rabbi scream something in his own tongue. It makes no sense to you. But from the sound of the voice, you know that he's only a syllable from death. But before you turn your head to see the rabbi take his last breath, you ask yourself, why look at death and ugliness when you can catch a glimpse of heaven? And so you look west once more toward the temple. And even in the darkness, you can still see the curtain of the temple. And as it comes into focus, your eyes see the most amazing, extraordinary thing you have ever seen. That magnificent curtain, your window to heaven, tearing from top to bottom. You remember what the priest told you. And at that very moment, your heart, your hopes, and your dreams cause you to say, surely 
This man was God's son. There you have it. My curious Good Friday incident. And if you're curious as to why my memories are drawn to that event of the tearing of the temple curtain, see me after service and I'll tell you what it was in that sanctuary long ago that caught my imagination. In Mark's Gospel, the mention of the curtain tearing is immediately followed by the centurion's confession. It's almost as if Mark is hinting that the centurion did in fact see the tapestry tear. But even with all that aside, there's something more telling in regard to Mark's Gospel. And that is this. In the Holy Gospel of Mark, there are only two things, only two things that are said to be torn from top to bottom, to be split. The curtain for one at the very end of Jesus' life. The curtain embroidered in such a way that it was a view of the heavens. It was a star map as an old Jewish priest says. The tapestry depicted the heavens, the sun, the moon, the stars, the constellations. So when that curtain tears, it is like a tearing of the heavens. As for the other, do you remember the story of Mark's baptism of Jesus? On that day, it is said that the heavens were torn And the Spirit of God descended upon Jesus as he rose from the waters of the Jordan River. And with these two rendings of heaven, one at the beginning of Jesus' ministry and one at the end, it's rather obvious that Mark has fashioned what's called a grand inclusio. Two bookends, one to open the story, one to close it. A rending of the heavens at the beginning of Jesus' ministry and again at the very end of his life. And so Mark gives us and unravels for us the mystery of Jesus' life and his death. Mark would tell us in the life and in the death of Jesus, the heavens have indeed been torn and God has come down to us to humankind to forgive to heal to save to restore to pour out his life giving spirit on you and me and his amazing creation he did that on the first day way back in Genesis He poured out His Spirit again on the day that Jesus was baptized. And now on this day when Jesus is obedient even to death, the heavens again symbolically are torn and the Spirit has come. The Spirit has fallen upon us. We are, you see, thanks to Jesus' obedience being reborn, being refashioned, being transformed by this gracious Spirit. 
And that, dear people, is why we call this day good. The Spirit is with us. It has fallen upon us. It's working in us, giving us new hearts, new minds, so that we may indeed delight in God's will and walk in His ways. The heavens have opened for you and me. The Spirit has come. And we have life. Thanks to Jesus and His obedience to death. Amen.